0: Thank you so much. Here's what I want to do this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn, we're going to look at a few verses in First Peter. So look for First Peter way towards the end. So you can turn really close to the back of your Bible and you can find First Peter. As you do that, what I would like to do this morning before we kind of jump into our study of God's word is I want to ask you to do this. I'm going to say a word in just a moment. And all I want to ask you to do is just do the best that you can to the best of your abilities when I say the word to purposefully notice your first thought or two, your first feeling or two. All right? And so I'll say a word. You don't have to say them out loud or, or you know, what, anything. But just when I say the word, I want you to see if you can kind of try to capture what, what do I feel when I hear that or what, what do I first think about when I hear that word. And the word is holy. Holy. What pops into your mind? What feelings do you first have? Last week we started, um, I was about to say last week we started studying the Bible. We've been doing that around here for years and years. All right. Uh, That would not be accurate. Uh, Bible study, big part of who we are around here. Last week we started uh, a series of Bible study for four, possibly five weeks the holiness of God and us and what we want to do in these few weeks is see what scripture has to say to us about what it truly means when it says that God is holy what does it mean when it says that we are holy what does it mean when it tells us or commands us prompts us to be holy right and I said last week and I it's a big statement but I think it's reliable that there may be no word that's been more regularly or more dangerously misunderstood than the word holy right So I don't know what came to mind for you, but when we think about holy, we might have thought of some certain practices that we do, certain religious ceremonies or observations. It may be certain utensils that are used in the worship of God. It might be certain moments or certain passages or certain actions or certain non-actions. But we all have ideas of, of what it means to be holy. And we sometimes just kind of assume... That we all are on the same page about what all those things mean. We kind of assume, especially in the Bible Belt South where so many of us have some familiarity at least with Scripture, we kind of assume that we're all understanding the same and talking about the same thing. But what I've come to find is that what's assumed is oftentimes misunderstood, right? And so instead of just trying to build on top of what it means for God to be holy, we want to dive straight into it. And I want to catch you up. If you weren't here last week, we're not going to redo the whole sermon. Some of you are like, thank goodness, because two of your sermons and I'll need dinner plans. Okay, so we'll, we'll try to just, just really quickly catch you up. I think I can do that. Here's what we said last week based on scripture, right? If you just need a nugget idea of what the holiness of God is, I believe it's the ineffably awe-inspiring purity of God. Ineffable, just meaning beyond full description. So there aren't human words that you're ever going to get that are going to fully describe it. God is so pure in his self-sufficiency, in his knowledge, in his wisdom, in his decisions, in his everything. That it is bright and radiant. He is always completely pure, completely perfect in every aspect of his being, in every aspect of his action. This is God, and this is something of what it means, I believe, for him to be holy. And then we said last week, well, if that's true, it's not possible that that we can live that out. So when we're commanded to be holy, we're not going to do it perfectly, 100,000% pure in every aspect of our lives. What does scripture mean when it tells us to be holy? And we kind of just barely tapped into the idea last week. We're going to kind of springboard back into it today. This idea that our personal holiness is what it means for us to take the purposeful, spirit-empowered practice of arranging our lives to see and show that holiness of God. It's what do I do with my life? How do I make decisions and set my calendar and use my finances and enjoy my recreation and lead my family and, and exercise and eat? and all, How do I do all the things that I do in such a way that it better positions me to see God as he really is in holiness and use my life to show that same God to others? All right. There's all last week's sermon and I bet, about 90 seconds, all right? So you didn't think that could happen. Some of you are like, hey, can we get the 90 second for this week? And, and I would say to you, you rascal, don't say that again, okay? First Peter is written by who? Anybody want to take a guess? Peter. You were 50-50 there, right? Because you could either guess that it was written to Peter or from Peter, but you knew it was one or the other, right? So it was written by Peter, the apostle And one of Jesus' closest friends, who's in the inner circle, Jesus' best buddies. It's written sometime after, years after Jesus has ascended and gone back to heaven. And it's written, we're told, in chapter 1, verse 1, to all the believers, to the churches in several different provinces or areas. Okay, And so he says to to all of the exiles in Pontius, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, right? These are all just different territories. Maybe like he might say in 2023 language, he might say, hey, to to middle Georgia, right? And to the coast, right? And even to some of those rednecks down there in Bama, all right? He might say that, right? He's saying, listen, I'm writing to all these people, all the believers, the churches, the gathering of believers that are in all these different areas, He says you're exiles, and and there's some theological discussion there. They could be physically, tangibly exiles. They could be people who, because of their faith, have been forced to move away from their home. But the the, the greater probability, I believe, is that he's talking about spiritual exile. He's saying that this world is not your home. And so he writes this letter, and the overarching theme of the letter is to tell us as followers of Jesus how to suffer well. Right, is that encouraging? you excited about that? How can I suffer really good? Right? That's what he's writing to tell us. We in our culture would be like, tell me how not to suffer. I don't want to know how to do it better. Okay. But that's kind of the tone of the letter. And he starts off in chapter 1 by pointing them not to some new realities or offering them some new practical seven steps that they can take. He, he points off where we need to often start off. He starts off by pointing them to the gospel. And he says in those first 12 verses, really if I had to just wrap it down to a succinct word, it would be this. He says to them, you have a salvation that is certain and a salvation that is glorious. You can see that it's glorious because in verse 12, it says, even the angels long to look into the salvation that we have. This moment when our salvation becomes completely uh, an act of fruition and we see Jesus face to face and everything that has hindered us and all of our brokenness internally and all of our struggles externally are done forever. And we are with Jesus in perfection. He goes, this thing that Jesus is doing in you that he's going to bring to a completion, it is so awesome and so amazing that even angels who have been in the presence of God, who have sung holy, 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 listen, they've never experienced his grace in the way you have. They've never been fallen in the way that you have. And and they see this grace of God and how rich it is for him, high and holy, to love sinners. And they go, man, I want to know about that. I want to understand that. It is glorious. It is beautiful, your salvation, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And we're told in verse 4 that this salvation is kept in heaven for us, and that we're kept for it. We're told in verse 5 that we're guarded through our faith for the revelation of this salvation. So you have a salvation that is certain, and it is glorious. I don't know a bigger, better word. It is awesome, and amazing, and mind- blowing. If you're a follower of Jesus, we need to let ourselves, let God shake us out of the mindset of dusty ideas about what it means for him to save us that we heard in Sunday school years ago, and they've kind of grown stale in our hearts. You are a person who was a rebel against a holy God, and in his son Jesus, he has reached down and accepted you and brought you to be his own. That's worth getting excited about today. That's what he said in the first 12 verses And we're going to see as we press into verse 13 that that idea is the springboard for what he's going to say next. 1 Peter 1, verse 13, he says, Therefore, which just means because of what I just said, knowing and understanding what I just said, built on what I just said. So he says, therefore, because you have this certain glorious salvation, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Verse 16, is going to give us a quote directly from the heart of God. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Peter says to this church who's facing some opposition to this group of Jesus followers who say we very much want our faith to be active and alive and sincere. We don't want to just say that we know Jesus. We don't just have this God who lives off in a temple somewhere that we come and bring a fire sacrifice to and then we forget about him with the rest of our lives. We want to very much have this real faith in Jesus and yet we're very much experiencing real turbulence in our lives. Life's not easy. Life is hard. There are things that are causing me to question God. There are messages out there that I'm not sure how to reconcile with God. I would just bet that if we could sit and talk about your life long enough that you can very easily identify with that experience. And he says to him, here's what I want you to do. I want you first to set the tone of your heart. First, I want you to set the posture or the position of your life, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to be prepared for action with a sober mind. Now, we use the word sober primarily and almost only in conversations about alcohol and other things that can impair judgment in those ways, but sober is a bigger word than that, okay? To be sober is to be free of distraction. To be sober is to be clear and not blurry. To be sober is to be able to use right judgment and not be hemp kept from that by some decision that you've made or some interacting factor in your life, right? He's saying, I want you to be sober. I want you to be able to think clearly. And and certainly, right, we could take the conversation over to the sphere of alcohol because it can clear, it can blur your thoughts up for you in a hurry if you want it to, right? But there's a whole lot of other things in our lives and in our culture that can blur our thinking about who God is, that can blur our response time and our sensitivity to what God is leading us to in life. I remember Jamie and I had not been married very long, and and as uh, a newlywed couple, we had no kids, and we just had all this free time. Anybody remember that free time? (laughs) I don't know, man, what what days were those, (laughs) right? But I remember we we got into watching this one certain sitcom, and there was a whole lot redeemable about it. There was a whole lot of honorable decisions and the way that people treated each other, and they fought for good ends. It was was a lot that was right about it, but we decided at one point, hey, you know, I think we need to put this down because I realized that I had started to root for two of the main characters, one of which who was single, the other one of which who was married to someone else. I had started to root for in my heart for them to have a romantic relationship. Because I loved him so much, and I loved her so much, and they were both so cool, and they loved each other so much. And all of a sudden, when it popped up in my heart that I was sitting there on the couch, now I'm a dude, and I'm admitting this, all right? So you say whatever you want to about the whitetail in the field or whatever, but your heart gets moved when you watch TV too, all right? And so I was watching this, and I'm seeing this, and in my emotions, I'm going, please, like, let it work out. And then I realized that would be sin, If it works out for them, they would clearly be celebrating sin right in front of your face, and you're rooting for it on the couch, right? And I'm not anti-TV. I'm not anti-kick everything out of your life. Like, if that's your path and what God's called you to, I support that, but I'm not personally that. But what I am saying to you is there are plenty of things in our worlds that will pull our minds from clear thought about Jesus, about who he is. There are plenty of things in our lives. What may it be in yours that would pull you away from having a heart that's sensitive to hear from him, to be prompted by him, to be led by him through life? He says, be sober-minded, not just so that you can think clearly, but such that you can be prepared for action. See, you can have information but have no plan on using it for action. And as followers of Jesus, the word follow is central and it's key. Following entails that you're moving. And it entails that you're moving in a direction purposefully. And it entails that you're moving in a direction to follow the leadership of the Lord Jesus. As a 12-year-old, I had a nickname for a while. And I would really appreciate it if you wouldn't use it around here. Um, And I already know that because I just said that you're going to. But I I was known by a few people for a while as Shamu. Like the killer whale at Waterworld. That Shamu. I was known as him because we had this play on our baseball team. We were going to try to fake out the other team to make them think that the ball had gotten away from us and that we were having to run and go get it. And so they would think, well, they don't have the ball, so I can take off running. They can't get me right now. And what we were to do was the catcher was to step out and pick up a handful of dirt and drop it from his hand. And that meant on the very next pitch, he was going to jump up and act like he was throwing it to second base. And I was playing second base on one side of the base, and the shortstop, my friend Brad, was right on the other side of the base. And we were to run to the middle and dive. where well, we were trying to catch the ball that the catcher had just supposedly thrown. We were to dive and then get up and run off into the outfield like the ball was there. And then when the guy took off running, they were just going to tag him with the ball because they had it the whole time, right? Beautiful idea. My boy Steven steps out, the catcher, he drops the dirt. I go, all right, we're about to do this thing. He jumps up from behind the plate. He makes his fake throw, and I run, and I sell it as best as it's ever been sold, right? I slid across that ba- the dirt right behind the bag, and I was ready, and I was got up, and I was running. And all of a sudden, I heard everybody chuckling behind me. Lots of laughter. It was obvious. And I turned around, and everybody was laughing at me because my buddy Brad had totally missed the message of the dirt drop, and he was standing there laughing and pointing at me. See, he had the knowledge. He had the information. He knew the plan, but he wasn't prepared to do anything with it. He wasn't watchful. He wasn't ready. He didn't have an intent of, I know that I'm always to be alert, watching for that handful of dirt to be dropped so that I do what I know that I'm to do. Listen, followers of Jesus living in 2023 American culture, we certainly need to grow in our knowledge and understanding of Scripture. So don't hear me say that that's not true. But it's also true that for many of us, we may know a whole lot more of statements and facts and truths and tidbits about truth than we are actually looking for, how is it that I put those things into play in my life Actually. The question for us today, the question for you today is in light of who a holy God is. Have you made the decision with your life, the commitment with your life that you are actively going to follow Jesus? Not just in moments of worship, but in moments of decision, in moments of relationships that exist in your workplace, and your family. Have you made that decision? And maybe for some of us, the follow-up question may be even better. Have you forgotten that decision? Have we become inactive? Peter says, Be sober-minded, preparing your minds for action. This is your posture. This is the position you want yourself in so that you can do the action he's calling you to. He says, lastly, as part of that positioning yourself and readying yourself, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Hope, confident expectation of good based in the character of God. I'm expecting the future that's coming, be that five minutes from now, and be that five years from now, and be that eternity from now. I'm expecting good coming my way because the character of God is good towards me. He says put your hope, put that expectation, not in your pay increase, not in your relationship being everything you thought it would be, not in how well your kids do or don't perform. Don't put your hope and your confident expectation in that. Set that confident expectation fully on the grace of God. Of God, That you will see most fully, in full fruition, most pointedly at the revelation of Jesus when the, he comes and we're together for eternity. This ill-deserved favor of God. He says, put your hope fully there. He went on to say one more idea that he gives us to help us shape this posture. He says, listen, as obedient children. Think of yourself as children who truly desire to be obedient. Now, if you were ever a kid like I was a kid, you probably had some moments that you didn't desire to be obedient. <laughs> right? But if you were a kid like I was a kid, you probably, for the most part, wanted to be obedient. He says, think about that thing in you that says, hey, I want to obey, I want to do. He says, from that place of want, as obedient children, don't be conformed to your former life of ignorance. Ignorance. The word ignorant is not necessarily an insult. We use it as one, but to be ignorant just means to be unaware of a certain truth. So I'm ignorant of all kinds of things. There's lots of stuff that I don't know anything about completely ignorant. And what Peter is saying is don't live in the way that you lived when you didn't know. Live as if you do know. To illustrate that for you, I want to tell you about a rubber chicken. When I was in college, I was part of a group contest in this the group of the contest, we won a rubber chicken that had been painted with gold spray paint. And so it was this shiny rubber chicken. And I suppose I must have been the group leader. I don't know. or the only one who cared about having the chicken. I was, maybe nobody else wanted to boast and brag and, and throw the chicken in other people's faces and say, look what I got. I took the chicken. <laughs> now, here's what I did not know. I did not know that in July, in the state of Alabama type of summer heat, That if you were to place a rubber chicken on the cloth fabric of your car seat, that the sun can get so hot that it will literally melt rubber into the fabric of your car seat. I didn't know that. (laughs) Never dawned on me. I mean, I know it gets hot. Yes, of course it gets hot, right? I know it's probably best to keep your car more clean than than more dirty. Sure, I I would have said yes to that. I had no idea that a rubber chicken would literally melt into the fabric of my seat until it happened. I was picking out the stuff out of the back seat of my car, and I went to get the chicken, and there was a little bit of jerk there. And I was like, wait a minute, (laughs) is this chicken alive? Because he's acting like he don't want to come, right? I look down there, he is stuck. And I I put some arm into it and ripped that thing out, and there is just a gold spot sitting right there in the back seat of this car that my father has gifted me. (laughs) I called my dad and went, hey, man, uh, you're not going to believe this. (laughs) I'm not sure what he said after that. He probably wouldn't want me to tell you if I did remember. But it was not a fun moment. Let me just tell you that since then, since that moment, I I believe I was 19 at the time. I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm not always a perfectly clean car person. So if you're one of those people who your car looks like you just drove it off the lot every day of your life, I salute you, I'm in awe of you, I am not you, okay? And so my my car has some papers in it sometimes, there might be some stuff sitting in a cup holder. right? I think now there's probably six different bottles of water that are partially uh, depleted. right? There's stuff going on in my car, but guess what I have never, ever, ever, ever done since that day at 19? I have never placed something meltable on top of my cloth seats in my car. You know why? Because now I know. Right? Now I know that's a bad idea. Now I know that it can really happen. Now that I know it can produce a lot of relational tension. <laughs> I don't do it anymore. And what Peter is saying to us is nothing to do with the silliness of a rubber chicken, but everything to do with do you live as if you now know. He says, listen, as obedient children, put away the things you formerly did because those things were flowing out of ignorance. You didn't really know God personally. You might have known some facts about him, some stuff about him. You might have known the gospel in terms of a list that you would write on paper, but you hadn't personally invested your hope and your faith in this Jesus yet. You hadn't done that yet until you lived in a certain way. And he says, don't live that way anymore. Live like you know because you have been blessed to get to know. He says, don't do those things. Place yourself where you're prepared for action, where you're sober-minded, where your hope is set fully on the grace of God. Don't be conformed to those passions, but instead do this, verse 15. Here's the command. He said, this is how I want you to be prepared. This is kind of your position, your posture to be ready. But here's what I want you to do with your readiness, verse 15. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, a direct quote from the Old Testament, from the heart of God to his people, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So what do we do, followers of Jesus, when the one who's ineffably awe-inspiring in his purity, who's perfect in all of his perfection, says to us, be that, because I'm that? What do you do with that? I think we can be helped if we consider some of the teachings of the old testament if you go and read the old testament sometimes it's a lot harder to read than the new testament and one of the reasons for that is because there's a lot of different moral code and civic code that god gives to his people there's a lot of rules and laws that don't necessarily make a lot of sense to us living in 2023 georgia if you read it, you see things like which animals are okay to eat and which are not okay to eat. You can eat some animals, not others. It depends on if the hoof on the, the bottom of the animal's leg is, is split. Is it split completely into two parts, or is it a partial division, but it's still one big whole hoof? Because that makes a difference in whether you can eat it or not. Right? Does the animal chew its cud? You didn't know we are going to talk about cud today, did you? All right. Welcome to church. Dublin Bible Church, pass the word. We talk about weird things around here because the Bible does, right? says, hey, if the, if the animal chews its cud and has the right kind of hoof, you can eat it. If it doesn't, stay away from it. Right? What in the world is that weirdness? <laughs> right? we, can, we can see and understand that maybe now with some of the scientific understanding we have, that might have been some, some God protecting us physically, but it's more than just that. I'll give you another example, maybe my most favorite. I believe it's Leviticus 19.27. You'll have to check me on that, but there's a verse that says, do not ma- uh, 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 shave the hair on your temples. And do not mar the edges of your beard. <laughs> Remember as a young teenage guy reading it, trying to get serious about the Lord and being like, well, does God, like, God got a problem with afros? Like, that's what I thought. Because I was like I, like, I wish I could grow out a big head. If I could, I would keep that thing circular and tight, right? I, I thought it was awesome. Was like, why is that a problem? He's saying, don't round off this hair on the side of your head. Why would he say that? He's saying, don't make the bottom of your beard be rounded off. That seems like a random, odd thing for God to tell his people. Why would he do that? Well, if you study the the gods of other peoples that were surrounding the Israelites at that time, one of those gods, they imagined him, their idol of him, their image of him was a god that had an oblong head. And so what people who worshipped him would do was they would make their hair as much as possible in their head in the same shape as him. And so God was saying not that he had a problem with a particular style of haircut, but he was saying, I have a problem with you adjusting your life such that it looks like another God. And it may be cool, right? It may be what everybody's doing. It may be the trendy haircut. Everybody may be stopping by the barbershop saying, round the temples, mar the edges, but you don't do it, right? Right? You may not be worshiping that God. You may just really like the rounded temple mar edge look, right? But don't do that because they're doing that for a purpose to represent another God. He gives all of these rules and all of these commands, but they're not arbitrary. He gives them because they are ways in which he wants us to reflect who he is, to appreciate who he is. God, multiple times in the Old Testament, had already been referenced as holy, but in this quotation... I believe it's when the first time that we see God saying to us, you be holy because I am holy. You be what you see me being. I just want to say to you that our striving to be holy as God is holy, though we will never reach it in perfection, is still very much worthwhile. I remember I got to pitch some when I was a player for baseball, and one of the things that they taught me as a pitcher as I was growing up to try to get better at pitching they taught me two things. Actually, they said, imagine that there's a dime, just a little dime in the catcher's mitt. Like, you're not really going to be able to see a dime if it was in a mitt from that far away, but imagine that there's one right there, and then you try to hit that specific of a spot every time you throw the ball, and when you throw it, you throw it so hard that you're trying to throw it through a brick wall. remember this guy telling me this, pitching coach. Carrie Russo's granddaddy. Y'all don't know him, but I just thought I'd tell you who it was just in case. He said, try to hit a dime and try to throw it through a brick wall. Guess what? (laughs) You're not going to stand on a pitcher's mound 60 feet from the plate and very consistently hit a dime with a baseball. It's just not going to happen very often. And I'd be willing to bet I've never met a single person that can throw a baseball through a brick wall. (laughs) He was giving me impossible standards to try to meet, but he was giving me impossible standards so that I would be stretched out to become more. So that my potential would become more. And God is saying to his people, you're not ever going to get it perfect. He understands that. He has grace and passion and kindness for you in that. He's not holding you to this standard and then seeking to annihilate you the moment that you miss. But he is saying, stretch your life out to be like me and see how blessed it could be. Be holy. Why? What's the motivation for holiness? First, he says, be holy because I am holy. See in me something so amazing that you say, I have to duplicate that in my life. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. Some of you may have possibly read the book, The Notebook. It's about a most improbable romance when a guy named Noah. The girl, I believe her name was Allie. I'm sure I'm going to get emails about that because I'm probably wrong, but that's what we're going with. He was kind of from the other side of the track. She was from the elite. They weren't really supposed to be the kind that would have a relationship you remember if you've seen the movie, they would argue and fight, and then the next moment they'd be laughing and like, oh, that was so silly when we were arguing. I'm like, why didn't that happen in marriage? Right? Like how does that right when you're fifteen years in, my experience is not like argument and then like that was so silly when we were arguing a minute. That's not how it rolls. I'm just being honest, okay? But that's what they do, right? And they love each other so much and there's this scene in the movie I'll never forget when I saw the movie, I saw it because my wife wanted to. She was my girlfriend at the time, if I remember correctly. So I, men, don't give me grief. I had to, okay? But remember when I saw it, this couple's down at the beach. And she's getting out in the water about waist high, and she's just out there just trottling around and acting silly and making splashes. And you may remember, she says to Noah, she says, say that I'm a bird. And he looked about like you would probably look if somebody walked up to you and said, hey, say that I'm a bird. You're probably like, huh? Right. He's looking at her like, what are you talking about? She said, I'm a bird. She's flapping her wings at this point, splashing the water and says, said, I'm a bird. Say that I'm a bird. And finally, Noah, reluctant, not understanding, but loving this woman, says, you're a bird. I'm sure he thought, I don't know what's about to happen. <laughs> then she said, Say that you're a bird too. Say that you're a bird too. And I'm at that point I'm like, girl, I love you, but I'm out. Okay? Like I <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like you can be a bird all day long, but call me in six months and let's see if anything's shifted, because I don't you telling me to say I'm a bird. Right? But he looks at her and he says, Oh, if you're a bird, I'm definitely a bird. He's going, hey, my soul is so linked to yours that whatever you are in nature, guess what? It may be a silly arm-flapping, splash-making, on-the-beach bird saying, hey, call me a bird. But if that's what you are, my soul is so united to your soul that that's what I must be. I have to be. I must strive even more to be that. And I'm not saying it was a God moment, there was no fire in the sky or whatever, but I just remember seeing that moment in this specific passage coming to my mind extremely clearly. If my God is holy, guess what I want to be? Guess what I must be? Guess what I want there to be a driving beat in the depth of my soul saying, be holy because he, the splendid king, the one who is glorious, the one who is perfectly, all inspiringly pure, he's holy. I want to be like want to just do what he does, because we talked about it last week, that's just conforming. That's just trying to do some stuff. But I want to be with him and learn from him so that I become like him, which is an inside-out transformation. I'm made different progressively inside, and that starts to come out of my life more and more outside. Just be holy, because I am holy. We will desire to be holy with our lives the more that we set the vision of our hearts on our God. Seeing the holiness of God will serve to be the catalyst that will cause us to want to see and show the holiness of God. <laughs> what, what's going to drive you to want to actually live the life that God's called you to, to be the person internally that God's called you to? It's not going to be effective for you to try to get there based on a catalyst of a bunch of religious guilt pounding in the back row and going, you got to do better, you're not doing enough, try to do good, do good, do That's going to break eventually. Your soul is going to crush under the weight of all that expectation. I would argue that's a big, huge point of the whole Old Testament. That that way doesn't work. What will drive us to desire holiness is seeing the holiness of God. This is why we're told in Hebrews 12, fix your eyes upon Christ. Why we're told, believe in 2 Corinthians, to behold the glory of God. When we look at him with our lives, we will desire in time to be like him. And no longer will we be living life trying to press the pedal down and go fast in the direction of personal holiness where we have no fuel in the tank because now we will be fueled by the vision of this great God. Be holy, he says, because I'm holy. And he goes on to give us a couple more particulars and specifics. We'll look at them briefly. Verse 17. Verse 17. He continues, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Maybe in your heart, underline, highlight that word fear. We tend to think of fear as an always only bad thing, and it's not. He says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you verse 21 who through him follower of Jesus are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God he says you want to hear more about the holy character of God want to hear more about how your holiness should look, he says, okay, then ask yourself, do I call on this God as my father? If not, I'm not a follower of Jesus. But if I call on this God as my father, I have to remember two things in good tension one that he is a strict judge he looks on everyone impartially he looks on our deeds and he goes you either made the standard of holiness or you didn't make the standard of holiness you either lived it in the way i told you to or you didn't live the way that i told you to there's not a special list of his really good friends or his buddy's kids or those who've given him a little extra tip that he kind of winks at and and tosses their hair and goes well you didn't do it but it's okay this is a god who sets a standard of himself And applies it to everyone. This is the daunting part of the gospel. This is the, oh my goodness, there's a problem. I'll never live up to that. But he says, remember this though, that this judge is not only judge, he's also your father. He's your dad. So the one who holds this high standard also has high authority. Your father is this one who judges in this way. And in that tension, he says, listen, know that you weren't bought with lots of money. He didn't pay for your soul with really valuable stuff that they make cell phones out of that you could make millions on selling. He didn't give a mansion for your soul. He didn't give your dream car for your soul. He didn't give a lot of cryptocurrency. He didn't, none of that stuff. He goes, hey, he gave something bigger and better than that because all that stuff is finite. All that stuff perishes. All that stuff eventually goes away. Here's what doesn't precious blood of jesus the perfectly pure one there's never been one like him there'll never be another like him and it pleased god the father to crush this holy son like a spotless lamb without a blemish you ever thought about that in the old testament when it says if you're going to make this kind of sacrifice bring bring a lamb that has no spot or no blemish you ever imagine sitting out in a field looking through all the lambs and you think you're like 99 percent through weeding your way through all of this wool and all of a sudden you go oh blemish Oh, I thought it was good but he's he's missing a little a little call right there. He's I see, something got a hold of that. He's done. He's no good. You imagine that perfection says Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He's the one who has been given for you. You were bought not with things that will fade away, but that which will last forever as the standard of your righteousness and your forgiveness, the precious perfect blood of Jesus, you have a father who has a high standard, but you have a father who has sent and crushed his son to meet that standard on your behalf. That's the gospel. He says, if that's the case, live then with healthy fear. What does healthy fear look like? It's not trembling because you're always constantly scared that God is mad at you, angry at you. He's about to press the lightning button and smite you. right? Like It's not living like God is just, when's he going to get ticked off now? The Bible tells us that's not who God is. Right? But I think a respectful fear means that in when we fear God, we fear not his heart, but we do fear his hand. I don't fear his motive, but I fear his method. Right? It's like I know he's doing it from a good heart. I know he's got great motivations, but when he brings the discipline, it hurts, right? <laughs> My mom, when I was growing up, had a big, thick leather belt with Alabama A and an elephant on there, Roll tied. And it had, it, had, it had rubber bands wrapped around the two ends, and she would just pick it up sometimes from behind the microwave. I'm sure she'd probably give me warnings. I don't remember any of those. I only remember her pulling the belt from behind the microwave and going, whap, and slapping that belt together. And when she did that, oh my goodness, I was scared. Ran and hid in the bathtub sometimes. I remember one instance when I came directly to her, trying to think that maybe if I submit myself willingly and acknowledge my wrong, this will go better for me. I don't think it did. I just got to tell you, I love my mama as much as I love anybody on this earth. I'm a mama's boy. I can honestly say with, with a pure conscience before you, I have never ever, not for a single second that I can recall, doubted my mom's love for me, that she has my best interest in heart, that she is for me, but I have been scared to death of her getting after me with that Alabama belt. Does she love me enough to do what it took to lead me in the path that was better? Right? Live in fear in this time. Knowing that this Savior, who by the way, didn't just, just happen to wake up one day and kind of accidentally stand in line for the I'll die for everybody line. <laughs> he was 4 and oh and we were told. It was planned from the beginning. It was planned and it was public. He wasn't the boyfriend that says to the girlfriend, hey, I want to date you, but don't tell anybody. If anybody ever says that to you, punch them in the face and tell them your pastor said to. <laughs> and then probably pray and ask Jesus forgiveness and come tell me so I can too. Okay? probably not a good thing for me to have said, but listen, that is hogwash, right? That is absolute ridiculous, coward action. To say, I love you and I want to associate with you, but I don't want anybody to know, that's not Jesus. He walked his commitment down to the altar of the cross and gave his life. He has gone public and it was planned to show who he is and his love for you. God is so committed to our purity that he sent his son to the cross. We can see His undeniable commitment to our purity in the gospel. Dublin Bible Church, when you walk out of here today, my hope is that you don't walk out of here beat down with your head hanging low going, well, God tells me to be holy, and I can already think of seven different ways that I've missed it just this weekend. So I'm starting it negative before I ever even leave the gathering. Don't leave here hearing that. Leave here hearing that there is a God who is holy and he has because he wanted to, not because he had to, not because he was obligated to, he wasn't forced to, because he wanted to from his own good desire. He has sought you out through the sacrifice of his son and satisfied his holy standard that he might accept you as if you're perfectly holy just like Jesus is. Could we possibly need more motivation try to let wrap our lives around seeing and showing the holiness of God than that. Don't leave fired up about holiness so that you can be a quote-unquote good Christian and so that some other people might come to church or whatever. Don't let that be your motivation, at least not primarily. Leave here not requesting God's attention by what you do to earn good favor. Leave here responding to the good favor that's already yours in Jesus going, I want to live for him as best I can because I see his love for me. Why would we be holy? What's our motivation? His character. His love clearly displayed. Where does that need to shape something differently in your life? I'm going to trust God to lead you in that. In just a moment, we're going to have the chance to respond in a special way today that we do from time to time. You see the table set up here. We've got the elements here to participate in communion. Just really quickly, I wouldn't feel like I was doing due diligence as a pastor if I didn't mention this because again I believe that oftentimes what's assumed is forgotten <laughs> when we take these elements there's nothing mystical or magical about these elements this bread this cup this is stuff you could get at the grocery store make it your house okay nothing mystical or magical about this these elements don't have Cinderella dust on them that they whatever it's nothing about that this is a relational act of great importance and wonderful celebration in the presence of god we come forth and we take this cup to remember jesus's blood shed for us and we take this bread to remember his body broken for us and we ingest it as we were commanded to by him as a way of acknowledging remembering for ourselves and stating outwardly to each other i have desperate need for what he's done place my hope on that my hope's as solid as his sacrifice so if he's done it i we remember that in this act, and we look forward to the day when we will celebrate in person with him at a party, a celebration like I believe we've never experienced before. That's so what we're doing as we come forth today. So if you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus, don't don't be weirded out thinking, well, I guess i got to go up there or whatever. Just, if you're not a follower of Jesus, just sit back, know that you're among friends, and watch what it looks like for a group of people to come forward and physically demonstrate for themselves and others and say, I depend on this Jesus. Lastly, I'll just remind you in Corinthians, we're told not to take this time lightly, not to to just rush into it, but to consider our hearts before the Lord. That's why we try to tell you at least a week in advance when we're going to have communion. It's okay if you miss that, though. There won't be any promptings. There won't be a moment for you to wait on. We're going to pray, and as we begin to, to play instrumentalists and as we begin to sing in a few moments after that, when you hear all that, you're ready to go. So you can sit still with the Lord if you need to for a few minutes. That's fine. But whenever you're ready, if you're ready now, that's fine. Whenever you're ready, you will come forward and you will take these elements. And you can take them here. You can take them back to your seat. You can take them there. But don't wait on any prompting from us. This is your moment. Pursue God in this way. All right? If you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus. Watch a group of people who need him desperately. And please come find me when we're done. If you have any interest whatsoever in understanding that more and knowing how it is that you could have that same passion, that same dependence on Jesus. Let's pray. God, God, I just ask that you would capture up our minds and hearts with an accurate view of what it means for you to be holy and an accurate view of what it means for us to be holy. God, I pray that our lives would be marked with gladness, that we would live for your glory, that we would live in the pursuit of holiness for your honor, gladly. Not out of religious duty, religious guilt, but that we would be glad to love you, God, with our lives. And God, we're not going to do that just right. I praise you that you've already covered those sins in those moments that our acceptance doesn't waver when our behavior does because Jesus has satisfied your standard. I thank you, God, for your plan from before even the beginning of time to redeem sinners like me and make us saints. I thank you, Jesus, for your flesh torn apart. Can't imagine the agony and the pain and oxygen hitting nerves exposed and wood pressed against cuts and can't imagine the emotional strain of being there before everyone publicly and mocked and ridiculed. Gave your body, Jesus, thank you. I praise you for your blood. That covers us. That God sees when he looks upon us. He sees your perfect holiness as you have shed your blood. Thank you. God, I pray you would move in our hearts to be people who worship. With songs, with Bible study, yes, but who worship with our lives. Remind us who you are. Let it be sweet to our souls. Show us honestly, our hearts, if there would be things that we need to repent of as we come to celebrate you in this way. Ask all this for your name and our joy therein, God.